0: But let's talk about uh, the teams that we're scouting this week, uh, if you will the Jazz, the Suns, the Clippers, and the Lakers, the four teams that the Knicks will be playing coming up. Um, I, yeah, I mean, we can go in order. I want to start by talking about the Jazz. So Utah has lost five of their last six and nine of their last 12. Um, You know, they've had guys in and out Clarkson, Olinick. Kessler, and of course, Lowry Markin, and have all missed some time. Uh, you know, Lowry will probably still be out this week. Um, Clarkson is back, but hasn't played particularly well. So if you know me, you know that I pay a weird amount of attention to the Utah Jazz, considering how bad they are. Uh, because I am a huge Lowry Markin fan, I just think he has a tremendous, like, additive effect and takes almost nothing away from his teammates. He is the rare player, in my opinion, who can give you star level impact and on some nights, superstar level impact while not taking anything away from a primary ball handler or like an alpha scorer, which is an incredible skill. I think that is extremely rare in the NBA. But Lowry's missed the last eight games. Um, And if you want any more argument for his impact, if we want to take impact metrics out of it, we can just look at the fact that the Jazz are plus 12.5 points better with Lowry on the court, which is 92nd percentile in the NBA, including 9.4 points on offense. Not only that, they literally do everything better when he is on the court on both sides of the ball, uh, besides defensive rebounding, which, you know, it's about the same. So they're about neutral on defensive rebounding, and literally everything else that matters in the game of basketball, they do better when Lowry Markin is on the court. So that is just incredible. Besides Lowry, the rest of this team is bad um they essentially have in my opinion like a team of just one-way players so you know sexton Olinick, clarkson collins strictly offensive players who get absolutely roasted on defense uh taylor horton tucker chris dunn um akbaji Solid defenders who pretty much can't do anything on the offensive end. I mean, like, I okay, THT has glimpses of creation, but he is such a low efficiency scorer that I can't possibly imagine that he, he can have a positive impact on the offense. Um, and the last thing I want to say about the Jazz is I just want to specifically point out Walker Kessler. So, Walker Kessler was one of the best rim protectors in the NBA last year as a rookie, which is incredible, but the first 15 games have not been kind to Walker Kessler. He's been off to an awful start. I have heard some about him talking about feeling a lot of pressure and expectations. Um, He injured his elbow back in uh, early-ish November. And, you know, he he hasn't been able to finish. His rim protection has been okay, but not near last year's level. And I don't know what happened to him on Team USA, but I do want to say Kessler and Jaron Jackson seem to have had all their skills drained from them from Team USA. I'm not sure how that happened. Although I will say Jaron Jackson started to turn it around. He did hit six of 10 threes the other night and dropped like 41 against Dallas in a loss. Um, But yeah, overall, this is a bad jazz squad. Like I I know they're trying to develop their young guys like Keontae George, but you know, they're just not going anywhere this year. So um, what, what are your thoughts on the jazz?
1: So first of all, I'm here to erase any pro talen Horton Tucker propaganda. We're not, we're not doing that. You know, this is, this isn't, this isn't the Lakers television network. This isn't ESPN when the Lakers are playing the Knicks and they're trying to hype up young players while ignoring all the Knicks young players. This is a good analytical podcast and Talon Horton right. Tucker has been bad his You're whole right. career. Like, let's just like, he's just not good. Um, so
0: no, I, I will say, I will say, like I said, I watch a lot of jazz and there are moments when you're like, oh shit, like he's kind of taken over, but like, they're very few and far between, far between, but you're, you're right. just like you're admitting,
1: right. you're just admitting you've had like multiple strokes watching jazz games. I, <laughs> I refuse to believe that these glimpses <laughs> exist. Um, I, I, this is total Talon Horton Tucker erasure. Um, One player that I would like to talk about who I feel I personally owe an apology to is Colin Sexton. I think that Sexton has been one of the rare bright spots off the bench for the Jazz this season. He's not hitting any threes, but I do think just his overall initiation um, has been helpful to them. I think that if he starts to play more, the Jazz will will inch closer to competency. I, I just think that... He is pretty much their only chance at running a competent offense right now, even with Larry Markkinen. And I love Larry Markkinen. I just think that Markkinen is at his best when he can be that additive piece rather than the creator. He's definitely like, you're the biggest Larry Markkinen fan in the world. I think you can agree with me that he's not much of a passer. He's not when he's initiating, he's looking to score. And as he should, he's, he's an elite shooter. He's very, very good at taking the ball and putting it in that little circle. You know, like that's that's what he does well. And because he does it so well, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he still gets that attention, and that should help other players on his team. I think that Colin Sexton would benefit from that. I think that they'd actually be a pretty solid duo. Sexton is still pretty young; he's only twenty-five years old. Um, I would be interested in a Jazz team playing him more, playing him with Keontae George. I really like George as a prospect. If any of you follow Prez on Twitter, which you should, he's very good at, um, you know, draft analysis and just breaking down prospects like that. He's very high on Keontae George, so I've been paying attention to him. Uh, Look, George hasn't come in and been a super impactful NBA player right away. Very few rookies are, especially taken where he's he's taken. But to steal what uh, XJ said about, Halen Horton Tucker and apply it to someone it actually applies to. Keontae George has shown flashes of an impactful NBA player. Um, I really like George. And John Collins, I, I agree with you. He he's not he has not fulfilled his potential defensively at all. I think he could be a way better defender. I think he could be more switchable. What happened to the guy who was like a menace protecting the rim four or five years ago? He was everywhere around the rim. He could jump really high. He was helping. He, I can picture John Collins, you know, somebody getting to the basket and John Collins coming in as the help protector and swatting that shit. Like he doesn't do that at all anymore. With that being said, he is shooting the hell out of the ball this year. And if the jazz can get any form of penetration, we know what the Knicks are going to try to do. And I do, I could see John Collins hurting the Knicks if he has a shot going that night, because his direct matchup is Julius Randle. So like he's gonna get threes. <laughs> if, if the Jazz can get into the paint, he's gonna get threes. Um the Walker Kessler start really surprises me just because I figured he had established his floor last season as a rookie. Um I will say though. I, I never got, got Walker Kessler from a ceiling perspective. And I say this right now as someone who thinks these first 15 games are pretty much noise and thinks he's going to figure it out. And he's going to fall back closer to his floor or to what he established, his baseline that he established last season. Um, What can he be in the NBA? Like, I don't, he's a less athletic Mitchell Robinson. I don't, well, I don't. I I don't get these centers that aren't super athletic and can't shoot. I just think, I just think they're kind of gonna go unless they can bring something else to the table. Like Bam Adebayo, he can't shoot threes. I'm perfectly fine with Bam Adebayo not being able to shoot threes because he can hit a 10 to 15 footer and he's an elite passer. He's got those dribble handoffs down. I don't see that from Walker Walker Kessler. I don't see him as a hub at all. Um, so I think that. I just don't think his ceiling has ever been or is super high, Um, and I never really understood the conversation about him.
0: Yeah, I, uh, yeah, it it is a disappointing start, and you know I don't have. I mean, I I share my opinions on the Jazz. I, I just think as far as it relates to the Knicks specifically, they should dominate this team. There, there's no. There's no chance that the the Jazz should be able to come in and sneak one by against against this Knicks team. I I just I just can't see it, and I don't think it's going to happen. And if it did happen, to be honest, at this stage with no Lowry marketing Clarkson back and playing terrible, um, you know they're. they're As bad as their defense has been lately, uh, you know, they just gave up 140 points per 100 possession performance against OKC. Um, Two games against that, 140 points per 100 possessions defense against Dallas. Uh, sandwiched in between a, a performances against the Clippers, their best performance in in a while, 120 points per 100 possessions against the Clippers. like. they just the defense is too bad. The defense is too bad. The offense is not good. No Lowry, you're not going to get beaten by John Collins shooting threes. Like it's just, I just, it just can't happen. So if they if the Knicks lost this game, it'd be the worst loss of the season for sure for me, easily it, worse than the New Orleans Pelicans lost. Like I just think this Jazz this Jazz team is is aimless and uh, until they get. Kessler back right, you know, and I think he'll obviously bounce back. I, I believe in regression for for most of these guys, and I think I think he is good as a rim protector and a finisher. Um, I think he'll bounce back. Obviously, they get Lowry at some point. Clarkson kind of needs those guys. He can't just be the alpha creator, scorer, and do everything guy. So they get a few of those things going, they'll get a little bit back on track. But with the the state of the team now, it's just not. They're not a viable contender against a team like the Knicks. They shouldn't be, in my opinion
1: there's one more jazz player I think we can talk about that I'm personally excited about. And that's Taylor Hendricks. Um, the jazz took him, I think ninth, but definitely inside the top 10 uh, eighth or ninth out of UCF. And I feel like he's XJ's dream player. Um, he, he's a power forward who provides elite rim protection. He's got really good length and athleticism mm-hmm. He shot over forty percent from three at UCF. Right now, he he's only played eighty-three minutes in the NBA, but he's been playing lately. He's at he's averaged sixteen minutes per game in the games in the five games he has played. He's averaging almost two steals and two blocks per thirty-six, and he's putting up over six threes per thirty-six. All of this from the power forward position. If I was the Jazz and I was Will Hardy, especially as long as Lowry is out. I would just throw this guy out there and I would just say, I wouldn't do the Kevin Knox thing and just be like, figure it out. But Will Hardy isn't David Fisdale. He's a good coach. He, he's a good coach who runs structured sets and has a good baseline foundation that he's establishing in Utah on both ends of the court. And I think Taylor Hendricks can be a huge part of that. I know I just talked about John Collins, uh, you know, being being a potentially big part of this matchup against the Knicks. I don't think Collins should be a hindrance to Taylor Hendricks seeing minutes. I understand you want tigers to earn their stripes. I get that. But the longer this season goes on and this jazz team is as woeful as it is. I think you take a guy in the top 10, you have to not see what you have in him, but you have to just let him get his feet wet in the NBA. Because I think these things like he's, he's shooting below 30% from three. That's not good, but he has potential as a three point shooter in the NBA. We saw that in college let him get more comfortable shooting off the catch from this distance in the NBA that the only way you're going to get a guy like this comfortable is with him playing and on court reps. I think, I feel very, very confident saying that. Um, And then the, these intangible, or intangible is the wrong word, but these non-scoring related things, you know, almost two blocks and two seals for 36 in the NBA from the power Power forward position is really, really high level stuff. And again, I know it's less than 100 minutes. I'm not saying this stuff is going to stick, but I I really like what I've seen and I hope we see more of it going forward just as an NBA fan because the Jazz have to be trying to build something and I'd, I have to imagine that Taylor Hendricks is going to be a part of that.
0: I love that you, br- you brought up Taylor Hendricks because uh, I don't watch very much college basketball. I'm not a big college basketball fan. These guys don't come on my radar until, you know, the tournament a little bit. And then when they're getting ready for the draft, I'll do some some pre-draft, like kind of mini scouting stuff, but nothing too serious. I don't really follow these guys until they get into the NBA. But Taylor Hendricks went to UCF, which is relatively close to where I live in Florida. Um, and I'm familiar with guys who play at, you know, the, the, the state schools in Florida. Um, I went to a couple of state schools in Florida, UF and, and, and UNF. So I've seen Taylor Hendricks play as a, as a freshman at UCF, and he can absolutely shoot. There's no way that he's going to shoot 28% or whatever he is shooting so far this season. Like, he is a legitimate shooter. And the fact that, like you said, Jeff, the things he can do on the defensive end, creating havoc, blocks and steals, really important defensive uh, metrics and impact. I think he he can do something for that. Like the, the the thing I'm most concerned about for Taylor Hendricks is his creation ability. In college, he averaged one assist and one turnover, I think, per game or something like that. And he's just not a good passer. <laughs> we talked about Lowry Mark and being like a weaker, uh, uh, having a weaker ability to pass. I think Lowry can be a connector. Um, he's not gonna like create and open shots for guys and and, and throw court uh, cross court skip passes a bunch, but he can you know make the the, the easy pass and the, the the good pass. I'm not sure about that for Taylor Hendricks. that that's the only thing that I feel like could be a weakness in his game. so but I would like to see him play and get more playing time and in real live game action. I think he's only played like five games this this year so um, So yeah, I, t- I totally agree with the take. Um, I want to shift over to talking about the Phoenix Suns. Um, so we've talked about the Phoenix Suns a little bit this season. Phoenix is... They've been kind of coasting. Like, I don't really know for sure what's going on with Phoenix. The the last several games, they have kind of just been mediocre, both on offense and defense. they kind of just been floating around. Um, I don't know that they are full throttle, like on the gas right now, um, you know, offensively, the last one, two, three, four, five games have all been below um, league average in terms of uh, offensive rating, offensive effectiveness. So, I, you know, we're still seeing Booker and KD do what they do, and they, they've they been consistent when they're out there. Booker has missed a, a bunch of games. Um, KD has surprisingly been pretty durable. He's played 19 of 22 games so far. Uh, What are your thoughts on the Suns and the fact that Bradley Beal I believe is coming back if he hasn't if he doesn't play today we're recording this on a Tuesday if he doesn't play tonight um, he might probably play against the Knicks so yeah what what are your thoughts on the Suns what they've been doing and and the 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 coming return of Bradley Beal
1: so I always laugh looking at um, the wowie combinations for teams like this for anyone who doesn't Know what Wowie is, it basically is there's this site pvp pvpstats.com, and it basically just you can put any combination of players and uh for any team, and it spits out you know how they do with every single combination of those two players, you know. So, like for Durant and Booker, I you know, I put their Wowie in and it has Durant on, Booker off, Durant and Booker on, Durant and Booker off, you know, Booker on, it has all four of those. The Suns are really bad when Kevin Durant and Devin Booker don't play. And, like, some people might look at that and be like, oh, wow, the Suns, they might be in trouble. Their supporting cast isn't that good. Guess what? This team is fucked if Kevin Durant or Devin Booker gets hurt. Like, that's what this team is. They, they're they Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and, to a less, lesser degree, Bradley Beal. But, like, even without Beal, I think the Suns team has a chance. I just – I've never really thought super highly of Bradley Beal. I don't think he's a make-or-break player in that way. I think that Durant and Booker, and especially with what Nurkic is bringing this year, I think even though I, I think the the Blazers did what was best for them in turning Nurkic into Aiton, and I've kind of liked what Aiton's done in Portland this year, I think the Suns got the more impactful player today. And the more importantly, the more impactful role player next to two really high usage stars. Like I think Aiton, the way he helps you, he needs the ball in his hands more than Nurkic. Whereas Nurkic is just, a, he's going to focus on rebounding. He's going to set screens. He's going to shoot the occasional three and never really been that high on Joseph Nurkic, honestly, but I've liked what he's done in Phoenix so far this season. Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, these guys are shooting the hell out of the ball. They're they're good uh supporting pieces to, uh, to Booker and Durant. And so my point is, is that what's more interesting to me than how they're doing without Durant and Booker is how they're doing individually. And that's that they're just kind of hovering above water and look, it's too early to make any grand proclamations, but I would expect them to be better with Booker and Durant on the court And I've been underwhelmed by how they've performed together. Of course, you know, Knicks fans will remember Booker coming into MSG, and that was, you know, XJ said earlier, if the the Knicks lose to the Jazz, that'll be their worst loss of the season. I think the Suns' loss was right now their worst loss of the season. No Durant, no Beal. You're playing at home. The Knicks should have won that game. Um, That was a bad loss. I... Overall, I, I think that the Suns have they need more, and so you know, I saw you make that face, I'll turn it back to you. Is Bradley Beal going to be the one to give them more, or is he just kind of diminishing returns?
0: I'm not a big Beal guy either, uh, kind of similar to you. I don't know that Beal has the right skill set to really mesh with Booker and Durant. I think. I love seeing the, these kinds of experiments in the NBA, honestly, with you put a bunch of high usage guys together. I know Booker is saying that he's really going to embrace this role where he's the point guard. He's calling himself the point guard and he's going to be a facilitator for these other guys. Booker is a natural born scorer, man. Like <laughs> Booker, that's 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 what the guy does. He puts the ball in the hoop. And I know he's a great basketball player all around and he can do some of the facilitation stuff, but that's you're not getting the impact from Devin Booker. If that's what he's doing, you're not getting his true value, which is the fact that he can score and create an advantage against pretty much anyone in the NBA. You're throwing back in, uh, Bradley Beal into that mix. I, yeah, I'm not, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan to, 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 to see how that will work in theory. All three of these guys are good passers, right? But, I just, I just don't, I just don't see it meshing extremely well. I think that they all want to get their usage, and you can't have three guys all together who are like a thirty-two plus usage. <laughs> um, I do want to say what I, what I do want to talk about is, is Yusef Nurkic, because I think, and I, I said this when the trade happened. People were acting like Nurkic was like washed up, like that wasn't an important acquisition. Like I was looking at it as like. You guys really... Like, do you guys know... I mean, obviously, this is a while ago. In 2019, um, you know, with Portland, Yusuf Nurkic played 7-2 of 82 games, had a plus 6.1 EPM. (laughs) That is crazy. (laughs) Like, you would not... Like people are talking about this guy like he's an afterthought, like he's nothing, he's just a throw-in. Uh, is this all that really they got for DeAndre Ayton? Let me be clear. This year, um, we have one, two, three, four, five, six players in the NBA with a higher than a 6.1 e- EPM. That's SGA, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, Tyrese Halliburton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh Yusuf Nurkic had a 6.1 EPM which would be better this year than Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Trey Young, Devin Booker, Scotty Barnes, Anthony Davis. That is an incredible it just shows what his actual ceiling is and his ability. He's had some injuries and he's had some wear and tear uh you know which may have brought down his actual ceiling, but his defense has been really critical for this team. I think this team would be much worse without Yusuf Nurkic. He's been willing to take a role where he has a much lower usage. He is not a low usage guy. He has been around you know, 24, 25 usage, which is like higher than 80, 80th percentile in the NBA. He's not a low usage guy. He's taken his usage under 20 for the first time in his entire career, including his rookie season with the Nuggets. Um so Yusuf Nurkic has done a ton for this team. He's still not even 30 years old. And again, like I said, I, I think the injuries have slowed him down a bit, but I, I believe that that was an important asset and pickup for them. And if things are going to work, I think it's because Yusuf Nurkic is the glue to hold together the defense and to be able to take some of that backseat role, but still provide the value that he can through his rebounding, through his offensive rebounding. He is in a 90 percentile on both offensive and defensive rebounding, um, You know, protecting the rim. I think he's just been a really incredible underrated asset for them. And, and, and I just, I'm, I'm a big Nurkic fan. I've liked him for a long time. He kind of, he really just fell off due to injuries in my opinion. Um, but he, he seems to have be having a bounce back year.
1: And to your point, all, all awesome points about Nurkic. Beal is the anti thesis of that. Cause like, if you look at EPM Durant and Booker are 10th and 12th in the NBA in EPM right now. Amazing. Like they're just two amazing basketball players. Neither has a positive defensive EPM like they're They are providing all of their impact on the offensive side of the court right now. Durant is exactly neutral, which is fine. That's above replacement level. And Booker is a small negative. I expect Booker's to improve. Um, The only way I think Booker remains where he's at or gets worse is if this point guard thing is just such a big burden on him that he just doesn't have it defensively. But, But honestly, If LeBron James can have a positive defensive EPM in 2023 carrying the burden he does, there's no fucking excuse for anybody else. Like if you're, if you have a negative defensive EPM right now as a good player and you're using the, Oh, but I try really hard on offense as an excuse. Like, look, I know LeBron is like one of the goats for a reason and like, it's probably not fair to use him as a standard, but the dude's almost 40 years old. Like if he if he can do it at 40, I promise you Devin Booker has the energy at 26 years old. LeBron's um, going to have
0: a positive EPM at 43 years old. So I, I don't know that we can compare LeBron to anyone who's ever played the game, honestly. But I, I hear your point, but it's just like, this is the ultimate apples to oranges, LeBron to anyone, right? yeah. honestly.
1: Um, But my point with all this is, you know, you, you talk about Nurkic being the glue guy. Great point. And I think the reason he's the glue guy is because he can provide all of his impact without getting while while Durant and Booker are their best selves. That's what you want in a glue guy or a role player next to a star like this. You look at Durant and you look at Booker, and they're you know they're combined almost an 11 EPM uh, offensively, and then they're combined in the negative defensively and you're like who is the best third banana for this team oh i know bradley beal like that's no like he's he's a worst of he's the worst defender of the three and he needs the ball in his hands so like if you let him be his best self at best he is going to infringe on booker and durant's ability to be their best offensive selves and he's not helping you on defense at all this isn't to say that Beale is a net negative, because like if you just do, you know, take Beal and replace him with somebody else who's just, you know, a net neutral offensive player, but they let Booker or uh Booker and Durant be maximized, the the hole is still going to be greater with Beal, but it's not as much greater as people would think. Like, if you told somebody, if I looked somebody, not even a Suns fan, just an NBA fan, and I was like, you know. I actually don't think the Suns are going to get that much better when you replace Grayson Allen with Bradley Beal. I'd probably get laughed out of the room. Like I, that would probably be a, considered a laughable statement. I don't think it's that laughable. I think that Grayson Allen's spacing and never having the ball in his hands and letting Booker and Durant just pretty much do whatever they want all the time is pretty close to Beal replacing those Durant and Booker possessions. And you know, I, feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Maybe I'm overrating Grayson Allen's gravity. I, but I don't think that's great. That's that crazy.
0: No, I don't think it's that crazy at all. I, I, I pretty much am in lockstep with you. I, I think that Beal is not the right third guy for those two. I think this is a matter of he's the best guy that they could get, and they needed. They felt like they needed to add someone to to really take them over the top, and he was the guy who was available. And so I don't. I don't hate that they did it and are trying to work it out. And I know Booker Booker does seem like the kind of guy who's willing to compromise and willing to do what's best for the team. He really does seem that way. And so I think they're all coming in with the right attitude and potentially they'll be able to make it work. But in a vacuum, I is, in an ideal world, is this the guy who you would add to those two? Like, definitely not. No, definitely not. Um, and, I mean, and Grayson
1: Allen's shooting 47% from three. Grayson
0: Allen's shooting out the absolute lights out. It's incredible. And, and to be honest, I could see their offense getting worse but with Beal replacing Grayson Allen. Like, I could absolutely see it. Um, and so they're yeah. and
1: their their defense isn't gonna like I you know, look Grayson Allen I'm not uh, maybe he's your guy this episode you know no I mean I know they have your guy <laughs> Go- I, I know they have your guy Goodwin but um no I, I know Grayson Allen isn't you know that good defensively but Beal's been really bad his whole career like really really bad yeah um do I believe on a possession to possession basis that they're the same no I think Beal has a higher ceiling. On an individual possession. But on the whole, I just don't think that going from Beal to or from Allen to Beal is just going to move their defensive rating, you know, multiple points. I don't
0: think so. Which it has to if if we can.
1: Would it surprise you at all if just Gordon, Allen, Booker, Durant, Nurkic ends up being
0: their best five man lineup? No, I think I, I would anticipate that to be their best five man lineup. I I I would anticipate that. I honestly don't. I mean, we'll see. I think book. I think Beal. The thing is, Beal has shown that he can lock in defensively, especially on the ball. He has done that at points of, throughout his career when he's been really challenged, and it's like you gotta we gotta get a stop. I've seen Beal go to really high levels defensively, as far as a consistent possession by possession basis off the ball, having to have that focus and lock in defensively. I just don't see it from him. And so I, I, and like you said, Grayson Allen's not an incredible defender, but he has been solid throughout his career. I think he, you know, EPM doesn't like him this year, but I think he's solid, and I think you know his shooting has more than made up for it, and I think his defense is going to come around. I'm not going to say the same thing about about Bradley Beal, so it's more of a wait and see for me. Um, so, real quick so question, qu- question oh yeah, for yeah, you. You asked the question.
1: Before, Go ahead. Before we move on, sure. Human element aside, why not just make Beal the sixth man? Like that yeah. has to be
0: human crap. element aside. Yeah, you would do that. <laughs> if only you could Vinny. put that aside. <laughs> so you
1: Do you agree that that would be the best version of this team? Like, yeah. and I think that that, I think that, especially with Beale's injury history, if you just said, we're going to play you 25 really high quality minutes a night, and you're going to have the ball in your hands a ton where you're going to get all the reps when Booker sits, you're going to be our main initiator without Booker on the floor And we're just going to ask you to be an additive piece next to Booker and Durant for minimal minutes each game. I think that's the highest ceiling version of this Suns team.
0: I agree with you. Listen, if you start, you could even start Beal and pull him after three minutes. Like If if that's important to him, the idea that he's a starter and whatever the case may be, that is clearly very important to a lot of players and you can't take that human element out. If you want to start him for 3 minutes and then pull him early and put him back in when Booker comes out, why why would you not do that? Like I just think that's the best way he can have the biggest impact on this team is to have the ball in his hands, to have the green light and, you know, to be able to maintain a high level of offensive output when one of your super true alphas goes off the court. Like it just it just feels like common sense. It feels like something they should do. I don't think it's something they're going to do. I think they're going to all have these three guys playing together, sharing a ton of court time. I think one of them will always be on the court, which it's pretty hard to not have that be the case. You would have to like intentionally not do that in order for it not to happen. But I think they're going to share the court a ton together. And I think they're going to start and close together as well. So we'll see. how I think that, that, I think that Vogel deserves at least a little bit of time to see how he does the rotation. I know it didn't end well in
1: LA, I'm not sure how much of that is his fault. I think it's pretty much entirely the fault of Polinka for making that Russell Westbrook trade, which was totally unnecessary. Um, But look, when, when the Lakers won the championship, Vogel's the guy who said, all right, Dwight Howard, you're not playing this entire series. Uh, JaVale McGee, you're not playing this entire series against the Rockets like I, look, you can only give a guy so much credit when he has LeBron James and Anthony and Bubble Anthony Davis, like, you know, and we could talk about this some other time, but Anthony Davis, you know, he was dominant against that Pacers the Pacers in that inter, in-season uh championship game. He has not been that player since the bubble. That bubble run is one of the most special. We he shot like 60% from 10 to 25 feet or something like that. Dude couldn't miss and was a beast defensively. My point is, is that you can only give the head coach so much credit when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are playing like they were in that bubble playoffs. But at the same time, I thought he did a really good job coaching on a series to series basis. And I trust him to figure out that, okay, these guys need to be staggered. And I'm curious to see how he staggers them.
0: Yep. Uh, Full agreement here. Um, The last thing I want to say, I just want to ask you a quick question you get one, one guess at it. One answer. We're talking about additive players, I'm looking at the top 25 in offensive EPM currently in the, uh, this season so far. Who is the only player in the top 25 in offensive EPM who has lower than a 25 usage? Can you guess? There's only one guy. Speaking of additive players who uh, might match well, well with my player.
1: EPM, uh, EPM is a rate
0: stat, right? Like it's not volume. Yeah, I'm just talking about EPM raw EPM not No, I know. Non- I'm just saying I mean it's it's, it's, it's it's not yeah, it's, a rate, it's, it's a rate stat. A, okay.
1: I mean, I guess I have a bailout guess just because I know you love I and we talked about. I guess it's probably marketing.
0: <laughs> it is marketing. Yeah. <laughs> it it is Lowry marketing. The only guy in the top 25 with lower than a 25 usage Uh, that guy, that guy has a lot of non-lube and a lot of lube as well. So he is, he, he, he he can work with almost any star. I really believe that any, even a combination of stars. Um, speaking of stars, we go to LA, we're talking about the Clippers now. Um, you know, the Clippers have been uh, very up and down. One might say, (laughs) um, I I mean, obviously it's taking them some time to adjust to having James Harden on the team that would take any team time to adjust to and and uh, you know having Kawhi and, and pg and all of that it, it is taking some time but their offense has looked a lot better recently um at first it was not looking good it's starting to really gel a little bit we've seen them put up big numbers against the sacramento kings uh you know a, a couple weeks ago they put up a big number against the portland trailblazers their defense was not good in that game the the the, the trio or the 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 what is for what's the opposite or not opposite but what's the word four three is a trio and four is a quartet is that right quartet or quadrant quadrant uh, uh, that's interesting I, I'm, I'm gonna go with quartet um, the quartet, quartet of, of of uh, Kawhi George Harden and and Westbrook what are you seeing from that quartet and uh, how are you feeling about the Clippers they just feel like a confusing team right now and, and they're still trying to work things out, but like, where do you see them going and, and do you see them being like a threat, like a threat as, as, as much as the player talent that they have would suggest that they are.
1: So first of all, I don't see them as a quartet anymore. I think Tyloo made that decision very early after they struggled out of the gate. I think Russ has, I'm not going to say has been cast aside, but he's not playing as many minutes. He's not closing. And the minutes he does play, they haven't been going super well. Um, there, look, Harden's been better recently. Harden is pretty much just a full on point guard these days who shoots threes and occasionally gets to the rim. That's fine. He's still a very effective offensive player. This team is going to live and die by George and Kawhi Leonard. And they've been doing that all season. You look at the on off data, the Clippers are winning everybody's off court minutes, except for George and Kawhi. They, they are basically tied together. When Kawhi, when George is off the court, the Clippers are being outscored by 8.3 points per 100 possessions. When the Clippers are off the court, or excuse me, when Kawhi is off the court, the Clippers are being outscored by 6.7 points per 100 possession. Those are by far the two worst numbers on the team. Every Like I said, everybody else is a positive. And then when those two guys are on the court, it's 8.5 per 100 per, for George and 8 per 100 per, for Kawhi. So in total, these guys their net difference is around 15 points for each of them. Nobody else is even remotely close. Um, Even Harden in the minutes he's been there. Um, I think that one really good non-analytical thing that Harden's done for George and Kawhi is he's alleviated the burden, the initiating burden on them because he has the ball in his hands so much. Um, I think it lets George and Kawhi pick and choose when they're going to, you know, give full effort on the offensive side of the ball. And it allows them one, it allows them to be more effective on the whole in a single game. But I think it's also allowing them to play each night. They're not missing games. Like they're out there pretty much every night, which is huge for them. Um, And then the last thing I want to say about Harden is he's shooting off the catch a lot more. I actually watched the Clippers Blazers game last night and he hit a couple of corner threes without uh, catching the ball without and shooting without hesitation. Um, I've really liked what I've seen from Harden in L.A. I think that the team absolutely has a championship ceiling. I think that Zubats is a fine center. He's been really good recently. He was getting buried early in the season. I, you know, when the Clippers were off to that poor start and they just didn't want to go at any of their stars, they didn't want to go at rust, you know, and so all you have left is Zubats. Um, But he's been playing really great lately. He did a really nice job on Nikola Jokic, who's been kind of struggling uh, the last couple of games. But that started with Zubats, who's just who just seems to be a nightmare matchup for um Jokic honestly just somebody who can match his size and doesn't I really stop you.
0: I, I gotta stop you I can't I can't have you I can't have that I mean you stopped me with the THT talk I can't have somebody. I can't have Ivanka Zubac being a nightmare matchup for Nikola Jokic. I, I we can't we can't be saying these kinds of phrases on hot hand theory. So I will let you continue, but I just need to s- scratch that from the record. No, You're just trying to Zubac get me back. is not a nightmare matchup for Nikola Jokic. But I hear your point. Your point is still taken. How, well, well heard by me. I'll say.
1: How about a relative nightmare matchup?
0: Relatively speaking, I, I'll give you that.
1: Okay. So, like, there's always a scale for anything. For anything in the world, there's a scale of 0 to 100. Even, you know, Jokic matchups. If Even if nobody in the world is a tough matchup for Jokic, somebody
0: is the toughest. Correct. But if if that's a nightmare for Jokic, that's like the nightmare where, you know, you are, I don't know, your teeth fall out or something. It's like, oh, that's kind of scary. But it's not the nightmare where you, like, fall off a cliff and die. Like, it's those are, those are fundamentally different kinds of nightmares.
1: I just think that like Jokic would rather face even Anthony Davis than Zubots.
0: Really? I don't know about I th- that. I, I think that Zubots' frame,
1: it just it, Jokic Jokic isn't blowing that past people off the bounce, you know, and maybe I'm overreacting to one game. But what I saw when I watched that film. I saw a dude who was able to stay in front of Jokic but also wasn't moved when Jokic tried to use his power. Who do you and think so look, I'm uh, not saying.
0: Who do you think weighs more, Anthony Davis or Zubac?
1: I would assume Zubac.
0: Yeah, according to, you know, the NBA most recent weight data, uh, Anthony Davis is 253, Zubac is 240. So Davis has 13 pounds on him. What's their what's their height difference? Zubac is uh two inches taller at seven one to 86 No so. fucking way. No way. I don't so care they have they that. have Zubac as a lanky <laughs> a there's, tall lanky there's defender. No way, that's bullshit. <laughs> Compared to yeah. Davis being a, a sturdy uh <laughs> low center of no gravity <laughs> defender.
1: <laughs> well, well, whatever the weight difference is. You watch that Zubats isn't getting moved by those Jokic bumps, and Anthony Davis does. All right, Anthony Davis gets tossed around like a. That's rag fair
0: out. enough. I, I everybody yeah, right about that.
1: <laughs> everybody watched those Western Conference Finals last season, and look, I think Anthony
0: Davis is really good. But um my, I, I guess yeah. my point is more so like, can we attribute it to Zubats being a, a Jokic nightmare, or Jokic just not really having it all together early in the season?
1: I think both. Look, I I'm I'm fine. I overspoke with nightmare. I just think that he's <laughs> I just yeah. think that he's uniquely equipped to to. If I was the Clippers, I would just I would have Zubats on Jokic every minute that Jokic is in the game, and I wouldn't send doubles because I think Jokic is at his Fair. most effective as a passer. And if Jokic is going to score forty points, if he's going to be really effective from inside fifteen feet on a given night. But you're not helping off shooters. I think that's your best chance of beating the Nuggets. And I, really I think that me. if you're going to deploy that type of defense, you need to have somebody who can hang with Jokic and cannot be overpowered by him. And you know, to relate this back to the Knicks, because the Knicks are going to have two games against the Nuggets. Look, somebody out there, if you want to record this and save this for when the Knicks play the Nuggets, I promise you that when Mitchell Robinson is in the game on Jokic. And Jokic has two feet in the paint, you know, with his back to the basket. The Knicks are gonna send doubles, and Jokic is gonna find a flurry of shooters, and we're gonna be annoyed. We're gonna, as Knicks fans, or Knicks fans are going to be annoyed. They're gonna say, "How are these guys so open?" And I'm gonna say, "Because fucking doubling." And Jokic is gonna find the shooter every single time. You can't do that. I've never understood it. Look, there are like I was just saying, there are ranges to this, and there are less absurd, more absurd. It's less absurd with Jokic than it is with, like, Draymond Green. Dude, when Draymond Green has his back to the basket 15 feet from the basket and we're sending fucking doubles, I want to, like, throw something through the wall. He's never even looking to shoot. And he finds one of those cutters or a three-point shooter every single time. And it's, like... How it's like a Tom Brady, seven yard slant, seven yard out on third and five. It's like, how do you not know this is coming after 15 years? He's, he's never once looked to score with his back to the basket from 15 feet. And yet there are still guys that are like, Oh God, he's got a smaller guy on him. What if Draymond Green exploits that? He's never exploited it once. Stop, (laughs) stop it. Stop it. Um, so yes, I get it. I get that. I get, you know, Jokic isn't Draymond Green. He can exploit a smaller player. But you have to pick your poison, this idea that you can just stop everything, that like, oh, well, if the guys just execute the scheme right, if they just double and then recover on the shooters, then it's perfect defense. No, you're not going to execute the scheme right every single time. Doubling and scrambling to recover is a really, really hard thing to do that only few players can do. It's not just this thing that if you try hard, anybody can do it. Emmanuel quickly is an incredibly special player because of his ability to stunt and recover. Derek White is an incredibly special player because of his ability to time his stunt and then recover to a shooter. These are not normal things that anybody can do just through sheer willpower. These are very hard things. And if you try to do it to Jokic, you're going to get killed. You're going to get burned. Let him try to score 40 points, turn him into a scorer, I, I feel very strongly that that's your best way to defend a guy like that. And let's bring this back to the Clippers. I think the they have somebody who is a glue guy in the sense of he can provide impact like that. And you have guys like Harden and Westbrook and Ka- Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and he does not infringe on their ability to be
0: their best selves one iota.
1: I really like what Zubots has done lately.
0: Listen, that was a tremendous rant i fully in agreement with you Uh, you know and anyone who knows me knows i hate double teams i think it makes offense too easy i think when you double and it's just like part of the plan it's not like some random thing that happens you know out of nowhere when the offense is not expecting it occasionally when that's like your plan is to double and send doubles and send help and and help and recover you are making offense so easy for your opponent it is literally and you're, you're talking about Nikola Jokic who could have the best, one of the best passers of all time, not for a center, not for what, one of the greatest passers in the history of basketball at all positions. Somebody who's tall, who is an amazing, accurate passer, and whose court vision is unparalleled. By sending doubles and traps to him, you are making the game extremely easy for him. Um. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. And uh, I, 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 honestly, I was giving you a hard time about the Zubach thing, but if Zubac can hold his own against Jokic, uh, you know, and only give up mid rangers you know, if Jokic shoots like fifty percent from the mid-range or something like that, and just takes a bunch of shots, you're winning. That that's the best you can hope for against Nikola Jokic. So I think it's I think it's a it's a tremendous point. Um, I want to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers
1: uh XJ before before we spring to the lakers sure, do you sure, think the sure. clippers can do you think the clippers can win a championship can uh, I like, like i don't mean zero or yeah. like i know nobody's 0.0 but like realistically do you think the clippers no are, no you don't
0: think don't they're think.
1: title contenders what do you think is holding no. them back
0: uh i think honestly i think harden is is not harden is, has been good but I think he's dropped off too much and I think that uh, I could imagine you know fully healthy Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are obviously a threat at all times but that the top of each conference is, is is too strong to me I don't think they're going to beat the Nuggets honestly we're, I don't think they're going to be the team that we are ju- about to talk about the Lakers and on the east you know they're not being the Celtics they're not being the Bucks to me um, James Harden is again like i said he's been pretty good he's shooting a ton of threes shooting a high percentage from three the guy doesn't get to the rim anymore um, he used to get to the rim a ton he almost is never at the rim um, which is a huge downturn in the terms of his career uh, in terms of frequency at the rim and shooting percentage at the rim is, is has been down the last several years um, and i just i feel like that's a big difference in terms of his efficacy also his usage is like 19 <laughs> which if you know anything about James Harden, that is the lowest of his career, including his rookie and sophomore seasons. Um, you know we've seen his usage usage spike around like thirty five to like forty that one year in Houston. He's at nineteen. He's like you said, he's just purely a facilitator and kind of catch and shoot guy. His free throw rates relatively similar to what it's been the last couple years, but this is just not the James Harden that we've known, and and it's really just a Paul George, Kawhi Leonard backed Clippers team with a, a slightly better point guard situation, but not like anything substantial. So to me, that's just not enough to get it done. The West is too strong, and and on the East they're too strong as well, in my opinion. Um, but yep, yeah, let us turn gears. Uh, we have a few minutes left. We can talk about the Lakers. I mean i'll let you kind of go you've been you've been you've been posting for hot hand theory about lebron and you've been talking about lebron some of the stuff that he's been doing and just acknowledging the complete insanity of it of what's happening right now like there's very it's very difficult to contextualize for people like how absurd what we're seeing is is happening um i'm not sure how to do it besides because there's no comparison it's not like you could be like uh, look at this guy in football look at it's like more than what Brady ha- has done as, as a quarterback it's 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 more than uh, you know any other player that we've seen in, in baseball i mean we've seen some uh, some guys play you know pitchers in baseball to like they're like 45 or something like that and be pretty good in basketball it's a different story you cannot be 39 and doing what LeBron James is doing it's just too based on athleticism to to be able to have the impact that he's having and LeBron James has currently owns a plus on off differential, which is obviously in the 99th percentile of the NBA. The Lakers defense is 11.7 points per 100 better on defense when LeBron's on the court and 9.4 points better on offense when LeBron James is on the court. The efficiency on both ends is skyrockets. LeBron is having (laughs) somehow. Having one of the best years of his career (laughs) so far. I was laughing because it's stupid. It's stupid that I even said this, but he's right now, he's having one of the best seasons of his career. Definitely probably the best one in the last, you know, eight or so years uh, since he's, you know, since he left Cleveland. So. Uh, that's, that's, that's the story of the Lakers to me. That's why the Lakers have been good. The Lakers have played sort of like a dominant team recently. And, uh, it all comes down to what LeBron is doing which is just uh, remarkable. So any, uh, anything you want to say, you can take it away.
1: The Lakers are getting outscored by 12 points for hundred possessions when LeBron doesn't play. That's a pretty good place to start. They haven't been good at all when he doesn't play. And, you know, this is why, and this is why wowie combinations are so valuable because I'd bet that people who don't watch a lot of Lakers are like, oh, they must be doing that rotation thing where, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron play a ton together and their bench is just bad. No, when LeBron sits and Anthony Davis plays, the Lakers are being outscored by almost six points per hundred possessions. They're getting pretty nuked when Anthony Davis is out there without LeBron. On uh, on the other hand, when LeBron's out there without Anthony Davis, they're outscoring opponents by almost ten points per hundred possessions. Sixteen point difference when all you do is replace when when you swap Anthony Davis
0: and LeBron James. That's ridiculous. That's this ridiculous. isn't
1: even Anthony Davis hate. This is just LeBron James is an alien. This this doesn't make any sense. Like one of my favorite favorite articles. If anybody if anybody gets bored, Deadspin wrote this article like ten years ago that says the title is like. Barry Bonds was an alien sent to Earth to break all baseball, break all of baseball, and it has all these crazy stats that you could never in your life imagine. Like, here's a really crazy one for you, actually, that I know off the top of my hand. Um, what do you think Barry Bonds' career on base percentage was when the count got to three o?
0: When it got to three o?
1: Right. So, like, obviously, you can still make it out when the count goes to three o. You're not his on base
0: percentage. Uh, maybe. Seven hundred. It was nine ten in his career. <laughs> in his career. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> he never oh, like god, even
1: I... accidentally made an out. Like he was just all oh, like, if you got down three zero, he was just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, that's dude, I like... thought
0: I thought I was guessing high at seven hundred. I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna show Jeff. He yeah. thinks this is gonna be <laughs> good. I'm gonna say something crazy. How about seven <laughs> hundred? There's
1: just there's just so many uh... like.
0: That's absurd.
1: He, and this guy was like, oh, wait, I, oh my God, I was wrong. He had, okay, so he batted 400 and his on base percentage was 967 on 3 0 counts. 967. In his
0: career? In his career. That doesn't even make sense.
1: I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have an answer for you. He basically <laughs> was a lock to get on base if the count got 3 That's insane. Um, yeah. I've
0: never heard of something like that before. That, that was crazy.
1: Yeah. Um LeBron James is – the NBA's Barry Bonds. Like, he's breaking the sport. Every single thing he does, it's just – I don't even know how to put a superlative to it or to – he's just – I don't know. I texted you the other night and I was like, I think he's a social experiment. Like, I just don't get – I don't even get the greatest of all time conversation anymore. I honestly don't. I mean, you just – it just has to be framed in a relative to your competition way that has, that's the only, for me, that's all there is left because this idea, like if you just think that, okay, well, you can only play against who you play against. And to me, you know, this guy set the standard, like Michael Jordan set the standard. He was so much better than everybody. And then like, you know, you have the, the um, what's the word I'm totally blanking on resume perspective of, you know, he never lost in the finals, you know, these things, I still don't understand why losing in the first round is better than losing in the finals. I I don't think I'll ever understand that. But whatever, like, you know, if these things matter to you, I just from a basketball perspective, I I don't think I think I've reached I've moved beyond the point of being able to understand it. Because this idea that if you stuck LeBron James in 1991 and you're like, oh, but the hand checking like. LeBron James would – like what he's doing right now wouldn't compare to what he would have done in the 80s or the 90s. It would have been an even bigger joke. And the idea that it wouldn't have been is just I, I can't say I understand anybody who thinks that way or why anybody would think that way besides just pure hatred or bias against the guy. Um, and to be clear, I have on two different off seasons convinced myself that LeBron James was going to be a Nick only for him to spit in the Nick's space. So like, (laughs) it's not like, I love the guy, you know, like I'm not out here, you know, standing for LeBron James. I can only watch what's happening in front of me. And it's just truly remarkable. Um, 65% true shooting percentage this season, his highest since 2014. And this is a guy who can't get to the basket even half as good as he could six years ago but somehow he just woke up and was like, Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'll just shoot like 40% from three. That, that'll, that'll make up for my inability to get to the rim."
0: That's what I was going to uh, say. I, the only thing, the only thing that I will say, it's obviously it takes nothing away from how ridiculous it is. He is shooting 41% from three, which would be the highest of his career. I, he's not mm-hmm. going to shoot 41% from three this he's year. Not. It's just, he's just not going to. So he'll come down to around 36, you know, 35%. and, We'll see some of his impact tail away with that as well. But, you know, still, regardless of that, he still has an incredible offensive and defensive impact. And it's just remarkable. So,
1: that game against the Pelicans, like LeBron is amazing enough. But when you juxtapose it against Zion Williamson, it just to me became even more incredible because he made Zion like all all the Zion Williamson shit that came out after the game about him being out of shape and him not caring about basketball. I mean, we saw what's, I mean, I don't know if anybody watched Pelicans T-Wolves last night, but the Pelicans just dismantled the Timberwolves. So absolutely dismantled them and Zion was amazing and nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it because people are still attached to the narrative that Zion Williamson and look, I'm not saying he's in perfect shape. He can absolutely do better. He he should do better. And I hope he does. I hope he does for the sport of basketball because he too is an amazing talent. But I think there's always been kind of this idea that like, oh well, if anybody had LeBron James's body, they they could do that. LeBron James is one of the most skilled players in the history of the sport, and like, I kind I don't people have people been watching him. Like this idea that like, oh, anybody could be fast and strong. And no, he's he's an incredible finisher with both hands around the basket. He can get to any spot on the floor. He can shoot from the mid-range. He's hit threes officially in his career. He has elite vision. Like I posted from the Hot Hand Theory account. I was like, yeah, Zion Williamson is kind of like LeBron if you took away LeBron's shooting and passing and processing, which,
0: <laughs> you know, these things matter, you know. I, I will say it- – Which would still be an elite NBA player, (laughs) right? It would still—I mean, uh, it's—it's crazy, but yeah, (laughs) Uh,
1: I think that's the thing is people people might find this a little bit, you know, over the top or whatever. But I'm not sure how you talk about the Lakers without talking about LeBron because he's so paramount to everything. It's the
0: LeBron show. It's the LeBron show. Los Angeles is the LeBron show. There's no there's no Lakers to speak of if we're not talking about LeBron. Like it is. They're, they're, they are not a good team without LeBron, even with AD anchoring them. LeBron is doing everything for them. If he stays healthy, my last thought on them. If he stays healthy, I do think they have a chance uh, at, at the title. Uh, you know, And I, I have them as more of a contender than I do the Clippers based on seeing this LeBron and the heights that Anthony Davis is still able to get to. We saw in the in-season tournament game, that kind of Anthony Davis is quite frankly unstoppable. And we've seen what he did in the bubble as well. Um, so he can reach those heights. LeBron is at this steady level of complete utter dominance, that makes them a contender to me, no matter what. So that's where I'm at. Where I am with the Lakers.
1: Is there any precedence to what's happened to Anthony Davis from ten to twenty feet? Can you think of anything like that? Russell Westbrook,
0: maybe. Was he that good? Was Westbrook? A oh yeah, really Westbrook. Good shooter from Westbrook in
1: OKC. Westbrook in OKC was an elite mid-range player and an elite free throw shooter like he shot 90 percent plus from right he he he, he was a great free throw shooter you know he he operated from and then one day he woke up and was like yeah i can't shoot anymore and i i don't really understand why that happened anthony davis has fallen off a totally different clip he's he's shooting like 22 percent from mid-range this year
0: is he i don't yeah i don't uh, I'm seeing, uh, 36.4, which is still horrifyingly okay. bad, but yeah. That- is it
1: possible he made a couple in that payout? Oh, no, the Pacers game wouldn't count. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe like 22% from like 50. 50- There's some range where he's... There's a range
0: where he's shooting that badly, but, but you don't think, do you not just think that that's some early season variance? I mean, he's played 22 games. Uh, things can balance out a little bit since that, from, from there. But yeah, his shooting, it has been just a progressive, just... Descent, <laughs> which is kind of weird I don't know why he's 30 years old but at the same time you know if he does what he do, what he did defensively against um you know against Indiana like he's still a force defensively he's still one of the best defensive players in the NBA and that's never fallen off at this point
1: I feel an obligation because I brought we talked about it a little bit with Mitchell Robinson earlier and then I you know talked about him with Zubat's Anthony Davis's recoverability is nobody nobody else in the league has what he has. He you remember that block that Giannis had on um Ayton on the alley oop in the in yeah, the finals? He had that, def- that vividly. amazing recovery block. Yeah. One of the great plays, honestly, in NBA history, given the timing Absolutely. of that block. You know, for those who can't picture it, Giannis was basically in one of those one-on-two situations that we see Mitchell Robinson in all the time. And he was up fairly high to contest a floater and mid-range shot. And then the guy threw what should have been a pretty easy lob to DeAndre Aiden waiting in the dunker spot. And Anthony Davis, or excuse me, Giannis Antetokounmpo, turned around and on a dime, like, jumped and blocked the alley-oop dunk. It was remarkable. Anthony Davis has these recoveries all the time where you're like, Oh, well, he's going to have to choose the lesser of two evils and it's like, oh wait, actually no he doesn't. He can he just can guard, guard both. both. Yeah. <laughs> he's That's an so incredible cool. defender and I as much as I do agree with what you said and the point I was making about how everything is about LeBron, I sort of think that LeBron is going to do what he does. Like, you know, the the Lakers got swept by the Nuggets last season. LeBron was great. LeBron was really good in that series. And I think that if you can count on LeBron's production being consistent and just being there, then actually the X factor is Anthony Davis. Because if Anthony Davis just plays like he did last season, I'm not sure they can win a championship. I think LeBron is just too old to do it by himself. He needs guys to make threes and he needs a sec- a second star. But if Anthony Davis plays like we just saw him playing Indiana, uh, against Indiana in that in-season tournament final, if, if he plays like he did in the bubble – they can win a championship and I think they might even be the second or third favorite. Boston's the clear favorite to me. Um, But I do think that they can win a championship with Anthony Davis um, because Anthony Davis in this star role, the Anthony, again, the Anthony Davis we saw against Indiana or in the bubble is a perfect co-star with current LeBron, just absolutely perfect. They they couldn't, they couldn't be, they couldn't correlate more. They couldn't be more synergetic. They're just, They both can be the best versions of themselves playing next to each other. And the Lakers really need that from Anthony Davis if they're going to win a championship.
0: I think that's 100% accurate. Well said. I agree with you on the Lakers' chances. I didn't expect this out of LeBron. If we get this LeBron, I I definitely have them in the top three uh, of of title contenders with the Nuggets and the Celtics. Um, but yeah, I was extremely well said and I might add well heard by me if I sh- should say so myself, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, this was a tremendous episode. I got to run. This was great. Um, we kept it to about an hour and a half, which is amazing for us. we, we are, we are very long winded folks over here. Um, but. Hopefully you enjoyed the pod and, and got a little bit of something out of it. Um, please leave a like, please subscribe. We are trying to grow our YouTube channel and just be, uh, you know, a bigger platform to, to, to talk more, more analytics ball with you guys. So um, it has been great. And this has been Hot Hand Theory.